Welcome to What Do You Know About? My name is Ash, and I will be your tour guide through the lesser-known stories of history. You can join us on your favorite podcast app, or come have a conversation on our Instagram at WDKA Podcast. But first, hold on tight, because we're about to go down a historical rabbit hole with today's episode. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, hello! It is spooky season already here for Kat and I. We know it's a bit early, but we are super, super excited to get rolling into the actual spooky, scary topics, rather than just finding the darkest points in history in seemingly light ones. With that said, this is actually a special episode as we have our very first official guest. Everyone, please give an extremely warm welcome to the author of some pretty amazing spooky stories, most recently one called Reluctant Immortals, which looks at what some of the women from popular horror novels might have been doing after their original stories were finished. It's Gwendolyn Geist! (laughs) Welcome to the dark side of history, Gwen! Um, so off the bat, why don't you actually tell everyone a little bit about yourself um, and give us a bit of an introduction to your relationship with our topic today of the horror genre in both film and literature. So I'm Gwendolyn Keist. I'm the author of Reluctant Immortals, The Rust Maidens, Bone Set and Feathers, and I'm a horror writer. That's the main thing that I write, and I've been a horror fan ever since I was a kid. And yeah, I just love it. And this is like the best time of year, right? Because it's like you said, it's spooky season now. So that's exciting. Happy fall. Exactly. (laughs) We're all here for spooky season. (laughs) Yeah, spooky season's like the best season. Who cares about Christmas? (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, you actually won some awards too, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm a three-time Bram Stoker award-winning author. Yeah. Yeah, and then you actually decided to use Dracula as part of Reluctant Immortals too. (laughs) Yes. Yes, Dracula and Jane Eyre, the uh, forgotten women of those books, are the main characters in Reluctant Immortals, so yeah. I have to say, I did start reading Reluctant Immortals as kind of like gathering a background about like who you are and what you're about, and I got so sucked into it, I had to pull myself out of it to actually get ready for this. Yeah, Gwen was like Gwen was nice enough to get me like an advanced copy, so I was like reading it over like months. And I'm just like, I can't read too much because I got to do other stuff, but I want to keep going and like make this last as long as possible. I didn't want to put it down, but I really had to to be prepared. (laughs) All right, thank you. That's always good to hear. That's always what an author wants to hear. Exactly. So, being my usual nerdy researcher self, um, I went and found some interesting stuff about horror in general. Is everyone ready ready for a little bit of history on the origins? Yes. 
Okay, so first of all, let's look at the background behind the word horror itself. So the word is, like most words, um, derived from Latin. Horror came into our English language through the French, who were living in Britain during the 13th and 14th centuries. Um, it comes from the verb horror, um, so H-O-R-R-E-R-E, which has multiple meanings, basically to bristle slash stand up, to shudder slash shiver, to tremble with fear, and weirdly enough, to have an unkempt appearance. An unkempt appearance is enough to be horror. So the yeah, last one does tie in, just bear with me. <laughs> so... The whole bristling part comes from, like, the original Latin word of horror, which was used to describe the hairs standing up and bristling, usually from the cold back then, which is how we get to the shuddering slash shivering part of the definition. And it's also how the unkempt appearance got tied into the word, as one might describe someone's messy beard or hair as horrid, because likely there are, like, hairs sticking out in the same way that they might bristle in the cold. Gotcha. Okay. So they just were like, we don't want to have a whole other word for this. We'll just tie it all into one. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I got my info on this from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, History of the Word, and they actually added to this information that in 1961, the dictionary added the plural horrors to um, the, cinema, the synonym uh, delirium tremens, which translates to a violent delirium with tremors. <laughs> okay. As well, I'm like, that's yeah, a little I'm, intense. That does describe it. <laughs> like, I don't think I've ever had a violent delirium with tremors <laughs> when I'm looking at something with like at like a horror movie or during like a horror novel. Like, I haven't gotten like that bad. <laughs> I think I have. I can I can think of maybe one or two things that that have put me there. Probably. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> You're just sitting there and you're just like cowering and just like in a little ball and you're like just like holding yourself so tight that you feel like you're practically shaking because like, you know, like you've never, you've never like been through not really. Okay, I'm, maybe I'm over flea. <laughs> um, in my fight or flee, it's to flee. So <laughs> as a kid, like anything was horror to me, basically. Um, like Sleeping Beauty, I was scared shitless of Maleficent that my mom just had to call mm-hmm. out Aurora the same way, and I yeah, was she's gone. Scary, she was yeah, scary. Yeah. Well, Maleficent's scary, yeah. I mean, especially when you're a kid, but even as an adult, like I love Sleeping Beauty because I feel like it's it's kind of like I love the animation, but then also it's like the one of the closest to being a horror movie, right? Out of Disney's kind of classic animation. And so it's such horror. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, now I love Maleficent to death. Like, <laughs> but like as a kid, like Maleficent, uh, Darth Vader, I would freak out. Um, even now as an adult, I can't watch um, the original Here Comes Peter Cottontail because the claymation of Iron Tail just creeps the heck out of me. Okay. I don't know this. I need to look into this. I don't remember that very well. I need to look into that. Yeah, that like, look great. into it. There is a new version that's, like, an actual, like, animated version. That Iron Tail is not as scary. The Claymation Iron Tail is freaky as heck. <laughs> so I loved Claymation as a kid, but it did scare me. Claymation 
animation is kind of scary to begin with. It moves kind of weird. It looks a little weird. And so anytime you have something that was kind of creepy in claymation, it was extra creepy. At least that's what yeah. I always felt as a kid. So I can definitely imagine that. I am looking very forward to looking this up. I don't know that I've seen Peter Cottontail. I've heard of it, but I don't think I've seen it. So, okay. Yeah, no, definitely right. look it up and see if you can find it because, like, it's creepy. <laughs> Oh, I agree. Claymation has that uncanny kind of vibe about it that like you can take a story that's not particularly scary and make it scary just by putting it in claymation. Yeah, I think some people are just like more sort of in tune with that than others. Like it doesn't bother me so much, but I've heard from so many people like friends, family, acquaintances that like it really, really creeps them out. And there's something about it that really creeps them out. And I'm just like, I don't really see the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't um, Nightmare Before Christmas technically like a claymation, but also but it's a bit more because I think of its timeline of when it was done. It's not as creepy of a claymation because it feels more like action figures than like the actual clay things. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point, because I don't, I don't even think about it as being claymation, even though you're right, it is. I feel like they were getting the technology down better than it was a little more, like, smooth. I, I think of, like, the 80s, like, that yeah. kind of, like, mid to late 80s, like, California raisins seemed to be everywhere during that time, and, like, they were really bizarre, and they kind of creeped me out, because it's, like, again, that kind of, like, uncanny sort mm-hmm. of quality. Well, like even some of the kids' shows now, I'm, like, when my little cousins were watching stuff, I was watching, I'm, like... <laughs> I don't remember kids shows being this creepy as a kid, like when I was a kid, like what is okay. up with this modern take on kids shows? <laughs> it was so scary. But some of them, some of the kids shows that we grew up with though, you look back and they very much are. <laughs> I don't, but I mean, I think because I have like that rose colored, like those rose colored glasses on when I look at like the kids shows that I watched. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I think of like Caroline coming out when I was in middle school and that one is like, <laughs> That's still terrifying. Like, the buttons for eyes is just... Ooh. Yeah. So, heading over towards our main topics of horror in film and literature, does anyone have a guess as to when horror stories first started to appear? Oh, it has to be early on. Yeah. Like, there must be some tragedies that kind of count as horror. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what you count as horror, right? Because, I mean, you could even say some mythology is horror, and that's, like, super old. So it's like, you know, I'm not really sure when people would have started describing it as a distinct genre. I'm not sure, like, when did it appear in bookstores? Like, this is a viable thing to sell. I I actually don't know the answer to that, because I always just think it's, like, always been here, right? Yeah, so when you're... Both of you guys are very close. So it is said that horror stories began to appear basically at the beginning of human history. The origins of horror are rooted in the folklore and religious traditions of our ancient cultures, and elements are even included in the Bible, specifically the Book of Revelation. Yeah, fair. Fair. (laughs) European horror fiction can be found in many texts from the ancient Greek and Roman empires, Mary Shelley notably being inspired by one of the texts for Frankenstein, as Kat will know. Um... One that I actually find really interesting is a tale from the ancient Greek man named Pliny the Younger, which tells of a man who is hesitant to buy a house in Athens due to it being so inexpensive. When he moves in, he is visited by a ghost in chains who disappears into the courtyard, and the next day an unmarked grave is dug up. Wait, wait, when did that story come out? Because that sounds just like so much. Like in in ancient ancient Greece. Okay. 
Because that reminds me, that just, that reminds me so much of like The Exorcist and like that, that trend of movies like of like 80s, 90s um, that came out that was all like, oh, this young couple bought this house and it turns out to be haunted. And like, and it started happening so often it became a trend. Like it, that reminds me so much of that. So knowing that that started in ancient Greece brings me great delight. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's actually interesting to note what was popular in various parts of the world at the beginning of the horror genre. Apparently, werewolves were extremely popular in France, while in other areas uh, they mainly became entranced with vampires and murderers. For example, Bluebeard is notably based on the serial killer Giles de Race. I won't get into his issues as they're pretty grim and this episode is not about him. <laughs> Uh, the 18th century saw the rise of romanticized horror and the start of gothic horror. Most stories at this time were being written by women for women. They usually had a resourceful woman being held, attacked, or scared out of her wits in a gloomy castle. These were ways for female authors to get out their ideas about society at the time. For example, The Italian by Anne Radcliffe had a lot of focus on the issues surrounding the French Revolution, neatly tied into the love story that was brewing. Novels like these were branded as female gothic rather than male gothic. So like, there literally was like a distinction between female and male gothic literature at the time. Of course. <laughs> But it's actually so, kind of interesting wait. why, because the main difference um, is that the quote-unquote supernatural elements in female gothic novels usually ended up having a very rational um, explanation, serving to expose the real threats of the world that women in particular needed to be watching out for. Okay. So as male, it would be, like, purely supernatural, or, like... It's usually mainly, like, supernatural, like, there's an actual ghost, or an actual vampire, or whatever, right? While the women are like, no, we're gonna use this form of communication to be like, no, this is what we need to look out for as women. Interesting. Yeah. Um... I really recommend Diana Wallace's book, Female Gothic Histories, Gender, History, and the Gothic, for a more in-depth, like, look into this subject, because it's actually really interesting how women use their voices and use, like, the gothic horror to be able to do that. So, moving on to the 19th century, um, we find the gothic horror novels that are much more well-known and beloved. So, we're looking at Frankenstein, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, Edgar Allan Poe novels and poems, Picture of Dorian Gray... And, of course, Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> and there are actually a lot of vampire-based novels that came out around this time, which I personally love. But it seemed like the vampire novels actually were, like, the higher, like, in numbers than other horror novels. Hmm. But I think that the horror, like, the first horror I remember reading was actually Edgar Allan Poe. As I remember memorizing one of his poems from this thin little book that I got from Scholastic. And I actually have the oh. book still. <laughs> So I found the poem, and it literally goes, Deep in the earth, my love is lying, and I weep alone. That's it. <laughs> so as a kid, I was like, short, sweet, easy to remember. Look, I have a whole Edgar Allan Poe no poem in my head, people. <laughs> That's great. Um, so I want to know what were the first horror novels or poems that you guys actually remember reading? 
Uh, my, it was also a girl and poem. My dad used to recite me the Raven when I was little. So like, absolutely. It was the Raven. Like he had it memorized as well. So like anywhere we would go, if like, I remember like we were waiting one time on my mom, she was trying to talk to our mechanic because our car was always broken down and it was cold. My dad and I were sitting in the car waiting for, and he's like reciting the Raven to me. So it's like, yeah, that's definitely. That's so, definitely what I that's so wholesome. <laughs> No, that's so sweet. Cause see, like my story, I grew up. I grew up a little sheltered, right? So like, I didn't have access to scarier stories until I was in my teens, and then I could start just you know choosing what I wanted for myself. And um, I picked Frankenstein because I was going through a phase of like trying to impress my English teachers like really, really hard, like um, where I just I needed to be the smartest kid in the room at all times, and you know like pop culture like. Twilight? Mm, no, thank you. I'll read Frankenstein in my spare time instead. Like it was, it was very much, it was very much a, a, a seeking for approval thing. But like, but I genuinely fell in love with it though. Like I picked it up to be not cool. Cool is not the word there. But like, but like I picked it up to try to like be intellectual, and be mature for my age. And I like genuinely couldn't like I got sucked into it like I, I couldn't believe what I was reading it was different from anything else I'd ever tried to read before and it really started this like oh wait no I genuinely appreciate the classics and like and like really brought it home <laughs> so Frank Mary Shelley just has a special place in my heart just for that yeah. and then I so I read Frankenstein and then became interested in her as a person and that's where my like obsession with anything <laughs> to do with Mary Shelley came in I love it. She had such an interesting life. Her life is just was so fascinating and strange, even for its time. So it's like, yeah, it's yeah. yeah. No, I'm I'm researching it right now and finishing up the script. I promise soon, Ashley, mm-hmm. uh, for a, a soon upcoming podcast episode. So yeah. I'm right in the thick of it, and I'm just like, there's so much. <laughs> yeah, because we're doing um, Bram Stoker and Mary Shelley for an episode. So I got to look into no, Bram's life as I'm just episode. like, this is so cool. <laughs> Mary Shelley could be her own episode. I've hit page four and I'm only in her teens and I just, there's so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I did the same thing, Kat, like being like an English teacher suck up. Mm-hmm. But I actually genuinely, I, I, I did homeschooling, but it was like a mm-hmm. distance education homeschooling. So they would send me like, about five or six books and be like, you need to pick like one or two of these that we're going to send you the course materials on. And I'm like, great, I'll pick the two of them, but can I keep the, the books? Because I still want to read these other books, but I'm going to pick the two that I actually feel like I could actually like do my best work on that I would understand the most to get the good grade, but I want to read these other <laughs> ones still. That's great. Like... <laughs> But I didn't, we didn't get to do like any good horror or anything, which was sad. Uh, yeah, the, but let's be clear: Frankenstein was not assigned to me. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. I was I was in uh, advanced placement English in grade eleven, and it kind of became my personality a little bit there. And uh, we were told by our English teacher that when we weren't in class, the things that we should be reading shouldn't be like light fluff. Like it should be like the classics and like the the deeper literature that had more to say about society. Um, And Frankenstein was on the approved list. And I was like, well, that's a scary story I'm allowed to read. So I'm going to be edgy. And then it just went from there. (laughs) 
I love it. That's great. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, so the 20th century is where horror fiction really got into the swing of things. Um, rather than publishing full novels right away, writers were serializing their stories in newspapers and other publications. Honestly, I actually think this is kind of genius because it does kind of build up that suspense where the reader actually has to wait for the next part of the story in order to find out what happens to the characters, etc. Which is kind of like, I like more like the horror, um, like, television series rather than like horror films. Because like, I always found like with like American Horror Story and stuff, I actually was more invested because I'm like, okay, now I have to wait for another week to find out this next part. And you always end off on a cliffhanger, right? Yeah, like, it naturally builds up that suspense. Yeah. Um, So Phantom of the Opera was actually famously done this way. R.I.P. the Broadway stage production that closes in February. (laughs) Um, I'm, like, super sad about that, but it's still going to go on the West End. Yes. So, at least you can still go see it. (laughs) We haven't lost it completely. No! Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, this is also the period where more and more subgenres were adopted. Um, okay. So we have Cosmic Horror introduced by H.P. Lovecraft, and then M.R. James redefined the classic ghost story with his works. Serial killers also became huge in the horror genre during this era. Um, as I mentioned in the episode about Bram Stoker, um, the public were fascinated by the real serial killers like Jack the Ripper, Carl Panzram, and Albert Fish, um, largely due to the sensationalized journalism that surrounded their crime sprees. It did die down during the wars, um, but popped up again when serial killers like Ed Gein were newsworthy. Um, so his murders were actually the inspiration behind Psycho. And then when the Manson family came on the scene, slasher fiction became popular with the duology Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs in, 19, in the 1980s. I actually didn't know that Silence of the Lambs was a duology. I only remember watching like the movie. I didn't even know it was like a book series. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a number of them. Because then uh, the sequels were also, like the sequel Hannibal was also based on a book. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and also um Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lambs, I believe, was also based on Ed Gein. So yeah. lots of creepy real life inspiration. It always just adds like an extra layer of ick when it's like based off of like a true story and then you see like how horrific it is. It's not the same as true crime because they take it and they make it so much worse and like, you know, exaggerate it for film, right? Whereas true crime mm-hmm. you know, like get the facts and like get get the real story but when you're like kind of blowing it up and turning it turning it into an extra layer of thing it's like oh the capacity of humans to take something bad and make it worse like why do we do this to ourselves well like i think i mean okay before i come on to this part i do have a pop quiz Mm. only one question don't worry (laughs) who are considered the king and queen of horror writing Stephen King's the king. Yeah, I would assume Stephen yeah. King. Anne Rice. Anne Rice and Stephen King. Actually, um, Shirley Jackson is considered the queen because she's, she's the one my who... queen. Yeah, I know, right? I feel like any of those would work. Yeah, um, but I think most people consider Shirley Jackson as the queen because she inspired so many of 
the more of the later right authors mm-hmm. um yeah, so then they're like because yeah, she's like yeah, the inspiration we're going to consider her the queen of horror writing um i feel like mary shelley i'd consider the mother more than i'd consider the queen <laughs> interesting i like yeah that. but no, i wanted to do that pop quiz first because i was going to say like stephen king is really good with taking like the real life events and not sensationalizing them over the top because I know I agree I I think he can he can but like I'm thinking of like um Mr. Mercedes Mm. right um yeah that one is one where he took the idea of somebody driving a car into a crowd of people as like a terrorist action and stuff right and then you're looking more into the people who are trying to catch up and you're kind of getting those that dual point of view of the perpetrator and the private and the detective that's on the hunt and i like how you did that yeah for the first book in the series i'd agree with that i think by the end it got a little sensationalized by the end it was not great but like the first book i'm like he did a really good job (laughs) yeah like that's yeah, like the I number mean, one. Because it went back to being supernatural, and it's like, all right, this is sensational again. But like, you know, it was. <laughs> I think I read like halfway through the second book, and then I'm like, I can't. Like, it's not as good as the first book. Like, dude, one book and done. <laughs> Although I do, I like, I will say the series. Like, I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the whole thing. But yeah, it there. Yeah, but that's also because. Um, oh no, I'm liking on her name. Uh, first one of the episode I got so far. Uh, her name. The Google, (laughs) Google, frantically googling. They didn't change her name in the series, did they? Holly, Holly, not Haley. Holly Gibney. Oh my goodness, I loved her. I don't know this. I have to look into this. I haven't read (laughs) these books yet. So (laughs) it was turned into a movie series as well. Which, from what I've heard, I didn't have time to sit down and watch it. But from what I've heard, it does a really good job of representing what uh, the book uh, very accurately. So. Okay. Also, didn't Stephen yeah. King also kind of like where he has like a lot more of a heavy hand into his work adaptations, kind of like how like Nicholas Sparks and stuff like that, like they have like their own published like production companies so that they can make sure that the books are done justice, kind of a thing. I would say that he does more so now than with some of the oh, older yeah. adaptations yeah. of his books. He did not like yeah. The Shining, but like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I love The Shining. <laughs> I know, but he didn't. He didn't like what no. they turned her into, and honestly, fair. So, I mean, just looking at the uh, adaptation for Mister Mercedes, like yeah. twenty seventeen. She yeah. doesn't really remember it even being a series. So, yeah, yeah. I think there's three yeah. books in the book it's like series. Three point five because it's a short story that Holly Gibney participates in as well. Yeah. Uh, kind of tagged on to the end. That shows up in what was it? Was it like one of his newer short story adaptations? Yeah, it was a collection yeah. of short stories. I read it, and I don't remember what it's called. Which one was it? I've kind of, like, pulled back from reading, like, anything new of Stephen King's just because I'm, like, it's so hit or miss. <laughs> but I'm, like, I'm just going to stick with, like, the ones that I actually like, that I, I mean, know I like, and I'm not going to bother continuing yeah. and stuff right where I'm, then I'm, like, I don't even want to read the ones that I do like. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the man writes so much that not it's not, like... You know, when you're writing that many books, not every single one of them is going to be a work of pure genius. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's like so many books that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like, I don't even try to keep up with everything Stephen King's doing anymore because no. it's like, you know, I feel like I'll just drive myself crazy, so. 
It's kind of like trying to keep up with, like, James Patterson, who has, like, five books a year. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Crazy. That's so many. That's so much. Well, he doesn't write them, so he just does, like, the outline and then is like, here, you write it. (laughs) Are we really? Are we we using this episode to call it James Patterson, Shameless Ghostwriters? Yes. (laughs) Shamelessly ghostwriting? I had... Um, during one of my, I think it was either my children's or my YA lit course for library tech, I had my childhood ruined, even though I kind of already knew by the teacher Mm -hmm. for saying like, these books weren't written by these authors. They were literally factory written. And I'm just like, but, but, but (laughs) I'm like, I even knew it. Like I had that inkling. No, but I was like, I don't want to hear it. (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I'm trying to remember back to, like, the series I would read when I was a kid. And I never really thought that much about it until, like, I got older about them being ghost-written. But, like, I, I don't feel like I got as attached to authors. So I wasn't, like, it didn't, you know, I'm trying to think back. Like, I do believe, I, and, okay, maybe I'm being really naive. I think R.L. Stein does write his stuff, right? I don't think it's ghost-written. I think it I is his. I think it is I his. Think- yeah, I'm pretty sure. And I, I read that when I was a kid. And now now I'm thinking, like, I read Christopher Pipe's stuff because, like, they were hand-me-down books, like, from my cousin, older cousins. And I'm not sure about Christopher Pike now. Now I'm curious, were those ghostwritten? I don't think so, but I'm not sure. So, yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know. And then other things, like, I read, like, The Babysitter's Club and, like, oh, yeah. uh, Boxcar Children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you guys, I think, are, did you guys read that? Cause I think you guys are younger than me, so I'm not sure. Like, oh yeah, no, yeah, I read those. No, I definitely read those. I remember, like, I think it was the very last Babysitters Club book, um, where Marianne mm-hmm. has a fire in the house, and then she's saving her kitten from the fire. I literally remember sitting in front of my bookcase, and I had like a, I had like a pile of stuff like around me, kind of a thing. Like, where it's like, this is my reading spot, and I was just like going through a pile of my Babysitters Club in order, and I got to that book. I just remember, I like literally remember vividly just sitting there bawling my eyes out and my mom coming in and going are you okay honey and I'm like I'm fine she's like well what's wrong I'm like Marianne saving her kitten from a fire and I'm like okay I'm leaving now <laughs> oh no did she save it spoiler did she save oh yeah oh yeah it's yeah, a babysitter's club they're not gonna kill a kitten <laughs> yeah I know babysitter's club was not that kind that was one of the things no. I liked about them I always hated as a kid that I would like read a book and like then the animal would die at the end or one of the main characters would die at the end and I'm like no I didn't just get through all this I didn't just put it all this time and energy and emotion and then you're gonna kill off some character and like teach me a lesson as the reader I'm like, no. and that was one of the things i liked about like the babysitters club or the boxcar children or some of these is like they were predictable in terms of like nobody's gonna die at the end like a kitten's not gonna get killed like if you had said yes that yes marianne's kitten got killed i'd be like whoa the babysitters club got weird at the end <laughs> No, we uh, we had the babysitters clubs books. My my older sister and my mom uh, liked them a lot, and I never I never really did get into them because it, it just it just wasn't my wasn't my style, wasn't my vibe. But yeah, I think I did. I always wanted the scarier books, but I had such restricted access. The only scary books that I was allowed to read were like the Left Behind series, um, which is a Christian. So it's based on Revelations. It's Christian oh, wow. fiction for children, and it's dark. 
it is dark. There's an adult version and then there's a teen version. And the teen version was the one I was allowed to read. And it was it was okay in my family because it was Christian, because it's based on the symbology in Revelations and like what if that happened literally on Earth? Oh Lord. And it was nightmare inducing. Like it was nightmare fuel. <laughs> yeah, Revelations was scary. I remember reading it like reading that part of the Bible as a kid and being like, This is like a horror movie. This is terrifying. This is apocalyptic horror. It's it's yeah. <laughs> It I is. never Some read it. It's <laughs> actually based off of it. Like it, like it, it, it or ties back to it in one way or another. Yeah. It's... Absolutely. <laughs> I just remember Original thinking, I just remember yeah, thinking right. how cool I was when I, cause I had like the Darren Sean, um, like the vampire's assistant and his other horror series. And I think a couple of the covers had like glow in the dark. So like the teeth or whatever would glow and different things. And I remember where I'm like, even if I wasn't reading that one at the time, I always put it on the top of my stack so that while I'm going to bed, I'm like, oh, look at me. I'm so cool. I can handle having like this glow in the dark horror cover right beside my bed. And I'm not having a panic attack. I'm just like, okay, but you're having a panic attack still thinking that the house is going to burn down because a sock made it onto the heat register. Like, you're still having panic attacks. It's not about that. Yeah. No, No, it's good. Like, you're you're testing yourself. I like it. I like it. Okay. So, with some of the history in our back pockets and a bit more of an idea about, like, the subgenres in horror, um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to know what you guys both gravitate towards. Um, I personally love like the psychological horror and gothic horror the most. I want to be tricked into the hair raising feelings, <laughs> kind of like with like Shirley Jackson and, and her works and stuff, right? I want to constantly mm-hmm. be wondering what's going to happen and who is the real scary entity that needs to be battled. Mm-hmm. Like other forms are great, but I don't get that same thing from like cosmic or slashers and res. Like you know that there's somebody slashing at you. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I like gothic horror. I think gothic horror is one of my favorites. And I like how you talk about the psychological horror. I think almost like domestic horror, like horror like in haunted houses or yeah. horror like around the house or it's like, you know, the horror is coming from within the family or something like that. Something like you said that has that kind of realistic element to it, even if there's supernatural elements as well, um, you know. It does feel much more relatable and it does feel more immediate when I cosmic horror that I've liked or when I have written cosmic horror, I very often like to kind of like either read things or again, write things that focus more on specific people rather than this idea of like, oh, you know, it's this big giant, you know, the end of the world. Like to me, it's more scary and more like something I can be drawn into when it's like specific people going through mm-hmm. things yeah. as opposed to like, you know. Here's Cthulhu. No offense to Cthulhu. (laughs) But, like, it doesn't really scare me that much. It just doesn't. Because also, one of the things that I think makes horror, you know, appealing to me is the idea that you maybe can defeat the bad guy or the bad Mm. force or that you can get out of it. Cthulhu comes down, you're you're doomed. That's it. It's over. Like, Cthulhu's gonna win. How are you gonna (laughs) beat Cthulhu? So it actually, it's it's less scary, even though it's worse in a lot of ways, because it's like, there's not gonna be the same struggle. You're doomed. That's it. Like, you just have to accept it. (laughs) You know, exactly. And so with, like, a haunted house story or something gothic, it's like there, you may be able to kind of go against, you know, whatever that force is, you may be able to win. And that, that brings that tension. And it also makes it scarier because maybe you'll lose as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I like that aspect of uh, gothic horror as well, how it like focuses down to like usually just like a small group of people are affected by this thing. Um, and there's like, there's there are a set of rules. You don't know them all at the beginning, but there's a set of rules that you have to follow in order to in order to defeat the thing. Like with vampire lore, right? Like, you know, depending on which lore you're following, it's like it's got to be a stake to the heart or it's got to be like um, the holy uh, communion cracker or like, you know, like it's got to be like there's very specific rules and if you can find the right person with the right knowledge and the right information that head knowledge can like pull like can save you can like save your life in that instance so i like stuff like that where it's about like the it's not it's not about being the strongest in the room like in an action movie or like in an an action adventure it's Mm -hmm. it's about being the smartest in the room and it's about knowing the right things and i like i i I vibe with that um maybe a little too hard so (laughs) (laughs) um So, and I feel like that same thing kind of translates into psychological horror for me. Um, Like with more modern psychological horror, it's maybe not like gothic and doesn't follow the same kind of monster, like same kind of tropes and things like that. But with psychological horror, it's still like you play your cards right, you trick the right person, you you know, you sly your way out of there Um, more so than just like, you know, brute forcing your way out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because, like, what I like about, like, the psychological horror and stuff is that it's not always that there's an outside force. Kind of mm-hmm. like with We've Always Lived in the Castle with Shirley Jackson. There's not an outside force keeping them in the house. Yeah. It's herself. Like, she yeah. is the one doing the trapping. And that's, right? Like, you actually have to look inside yourself to figure out how am I going to get through this or whatever right or then going like oh my god wait could this happen to me (laughs) yeah yeah that's a big aspect of it too especially for um like i like watching uh psychological thrillers like in movies a lot um i i'm not a big fan of the jump scares but i'm a big fan if you can make me feel like this could be real then you will get under my skin faster than anything else so things um going into the spiritual realm i won't even touch it because i don't want to mess with that (laughs) Like, that's just like, I don't, I can't, I'm not, I don't even have, we're just not even going to try to wrap my head around that right now. But, like, um, but things like Jordan Peele's Us, like that one was like earth shaking for me. Cause I was like, but what if it's true? <laughs> like, I can't prove that it's not like, <laughs> Like stuff like that, where it's like it's it's got that element of realism enough, even if it is like there's something crazy, something else going on. If it's got that element of like, okay, but this could be real. Like this is how people would react. Like this 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 could be real. Um, that's the stuff that like freaks me out the most. I was thinking about that movie for weeks afterwards. Like it was the like underground lab part of it. Yeah. That's what like freaked you out. Mm-hmm. It was that. It was um, the way that Lupita played her character, and with like the eye, like the eyes, and just the whole. Mm, I don't know. There's just just the whole eeriness of thinking about like actively controlling someone else into doing things that hurt them, mm-hmm. and not knowing. It's just yeah, that whole thing. Okay. I think yeah, I like that. That's an interesting, yeah, that's interesting. It's a good point. Right? In my notes, I did have that, like, like, where I was, like, saying, like, now what makes a thing horror, right? 
And so, right, and, like, one of the things is that scholars have come to the conclusion that if it's going to be considered horror, it needs to provoke an emotional, psychological, or physical response that causes a reader to react with fear. And that one of the mm-hmm. best quotes about this comes from H.P. Lovecraft, um, and it goes, The oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. Mm. So, like, the fact that, like, it's the unknown that's creeping the heck out of people and especially like you guys like that is literally pretty much what defines horror (laughs) in a way like that's what it really boils down to right because i want to know like because i want to know like why do we want to be scared why would we put ourselves through that right um chelsea white's essay in the new scientist gave a really amazing quote that says that people who like horror films are more likely to score high for openness to experience a personality trait linked to intellect and imagination and stuff right where i'm like my imagination is literally what screwed me over big time as a kid like that i couldn't handle a lot of things because my imagination would go wild with it (laughs) Mm -hmm. um that's so that's that's such like an ironic thing i feel like for any of us who suffer from anxiety it is the imagination right it's imagining all these different terrifying scenarios in which we'll die or be maimed or lose something that we want and yeah absolutely that anxiety like in order to have a lot of anxiety i imagine you have to have a lot of imagination so that can obviously go in good and bad ways to have yeah well because like (laughs) um wait that's what i find like i can read horror much easily than i could ever watch horror right um and i think that that's because like my reading style is more of the feeling um i'm not one that when i'm reading i'm actually seeing things that are happening that's not how my imagination goes there are people who literally will be reading a book and they can see it as if it's a movie, right? I'm more yeah, feeling, right? Okay. That, and I think that's why I like like Shirley Jackson so much is that all of her books are about how you're feeling while you're reading it. So like okay. I loved at my family house, um, our living room was kind of like a sunken in living room, and then it had like the roof that when you it, during a storm you could really hear the wind, the rain, and everything. So my favorite thing would be to curl up in the middle of the night with um, the haunting of Hill House and just read that while listening to the storm around me because I would actually get that really good feeling from the book. But I think that for me, like, seeing it, then my imagination would go even more wild because I'm actually literally seeing things happening. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right? Like, I actually see the character rather than just feel like, oh, there's something behind me. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Same thing, like, when I went to Fright Nights um, at... And so, right, like we like we have like a mm-hmm. thing every Halloween where, um, like, where like our Playland like theme park kind of thing turns into like a horror zone, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I went for the first time, and I was perfectly fine because I'm like, okay, I can see everybody. Things are great. Mm-hmm. But then one of the characters came walking up in like towards us and was just like hello and we're like hi and then just out of the corner of my eye he did like a snake-like motion towards me and i was gone (laughs) as i'm like nope done can't handle this we're leaving goodbye (laughs) because then like i was on that most like that fear like that flight constantly that i'm like Mm -hmm. i can't handle this because i could see it happening out of the corner of my eye and that's what i think 
makes it that horror movies are way harder for me is I can actually see the things happening. Mm -hmm. See, for me, the thing is my fight, flight, uh, fight, flight, fawn or freeze response is to fight and like not necessarily physically fight, but like take action. Right. Um, like I go into the thing. Right. So I went to uh, Fright Night at the Peony for the very first time with just one friend. So it was just two of us, you know, young, 19, I think, year old, these tiny little girls that are like wandering around this place by ourselves. Skipped the clown section because that was absolutely going to be a no. Um, and then even though one of my friends was working there as an actor, as a clown, I was like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to see you. I'm just going to go straight by. Like, I'm, it's not happening. Um, we were like doing all right. We're like, okay, like this, the actors everywhere, they're really cool. We're trying to focus on like how cool their makeup is and stuff like that. And then one creeps up behind me and um, said, just like, they had like a big prosthetic face that was like all like twisted and weird and kind of like impressionist and um came up behind me and kind of startled me and I swung around and like clenched my fist like I was gonna swing and then realized that was not gonna be okay stopped myself and just said hi and like the cheeriest voice and he just like walked away because he was like I didn't spook her and I was like you terrified me sir like (laughs) so so we spent the rest of the, that was our, that was our immediate response for the rest of it. Anytime we walked, like we walked, they had like a zone that was all based on like movie, like classic yeah. movie villains. So they had like Freddy Krueger with like the, the finger, the slicey fingers and like, um, and so we're walking through them and everything and we're just like, hi, how's it going? I'm like, hi, nice to meet you. Like, um, and just being dumb and being the exact kind of people that the uh monster actors absolutely hate because we were just being goofy and silly and not taking it seriously and not getting freaked out at all <laughs> yeah i was thankful after you were very freaked out, so after i was yeah. <laughs> um when i went which was the first time <laughs> the movie actors all stayed like in like a pod so i yeah. just listened constantly for the sound of the chainsaw as i'm like hey do not go that direction <laughs> <laughs> oh wait they're coming this way which direction are we going to turn <laughs> so that I'm like I know that if I see one of them especially the one with the chainsaw that's going to send me over the edge fair enough my friend one of one of the monsters we started walking because there was like um, a dollhouse haunted house that we wanted to go through but we had to go through like a smoke machine in order to get there and so we start walking towards it and one of the one of them like piped up i don't even know which one but one of them piped up going yes go into the fog and my friend's like okay and starts skipping towards it like it was it was it just it lightened the situation and it made it not scary enough for us to actually see all the things and enjoy all the things so we just kept doing it and it worked <laughs> Well, yeah, um, and I think that's a good segue now into, let's look at horror films. <laughs> all right. Sure. Oh, Gwen, did you have anything you wanted to add about, like, literature and stuff, and, like, even, like, from the point of view of somebody who writes horror? Yeah, you know, I think for me, I, I actually think I find reading horror to be scarier than watching it. I think because watching it, like, I can turn it off and obviously I can stop reading but I'm creating the images in my own mind as opposed to the images being created so I feel like that not that I've never been unnerved or scared by a horror film I I have but I feel like for me like reading it and and it also is more intimate to read right like you can Mm -hmm. watch a film with like 
200 people at a time, right? In a movie theater or however many people. When you're reading, it's just between you and the book. And like no two readers will ever read something quite the same way. Like we're getting slightly different images or we're getting slightly different reactions. So it feels very much like it's between me and this book. And that, you know, that that kind of barrier is is, you know, less than between me and a movie, which I know... I also was an independent filmmaker for a period of time. So it's like, to some extent, you know, and I made horror films. So to some extent, you know, you kind of watch it from that perspective of like, okay, how did they do this effect? Or, you know, I've seen other movies by these, this same director. And so kind of looking at it like that, whereas with, you know, with horror literature, I feel like it's just, you know, I go more into it and it's more just between me and the book. And so I feel like I've been creeped out more by, horror literature than maybe horror films but obviously love them both so that sounds kind of interesting i had a question about that as a writer who writes horror films do you ever get like spooked by your own work by like the things that you write as you're writing it every every once in a while and especially when i used to um right when I was like at home by myself, like my husband works from home now. So we're always, you know, together. So maybe not quite so much now, because it's like never that kind of isolation. But I know there have been times, you know, that I've written something and then I'm by myself. And I'm like, Oh, why did I do this? Why did I? Why did I write this when I was home alone? This is kind of freaking me out now. (laughs) So yeah, occasionally, definitely. But like, you know, maybe not all the time. Because like I said, once you know the mechanics of it, the same thing when I would make, you know, when I was, you know, a horror uh, filmmaker or I did some acting in other people's horror films you know you're not really scared when you're on a set for the most yeah. part at least you shouldn't be every once in a while you hear of actors being terrorized on sets and I'm like that's really not how that's supposed to go you don't need that kind of method acting of terrorizing actors but like yeah. yeah so it's like I feel like when you're the creator and you're kind of knowing the mechanics and the architecture behind it maybe it's not quite as scary but every once in a while I do still freak myself out and I'm like oh Hopefully that'll freak out other people too. (laughs) Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. 
For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If it scares you, then it's got, like, it's got to scare at least one other person, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> I find that actually really interesting because, like, when I will be working on, like, a bit more of, like, a scarier short story or, like, a horror-ish short story, like, I find that I'm, like, the least scared. And I think because I'm, like, I have control over it. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. Like, I'm the most scared if it's something that's actually happening in person. Because I'm, like, yeah. when we go to, like, Fright Nights or different, or, like, the haunted corn mazes and stuff like that, I'm, like, you don't know who's behind that mask. Like, it could be yeah. somebody who's, like, I'm just going to don this now while I'm in here and boom. <laughs> I'm going to actually actively harm people where I'm like you never know I'm actually really curious now that you mentioned it about how many times that's happened I don't think it's happened very often I did do research on that and I'm pretty sure that it hasn't happened very often but like like that's like one of the things like I hate clowns in person because I'm like I don't know who's behind that clown makeup anyone can put on makeup and clowns are just creepy in general (laughs) yeah clowns I saw a thing I'm sidetracked like getting us derailed again a little bit but clowns i saw a thing it's and it's a while ago so i don't have a source for this on hand but it was saying that clowns are creepy because we can tell it's disingenuous because when they have like the painted smile and you can see that the person's real smile underneath is not that exaggerated and is not that Mm. genuine smile then you like your brain is really really good at detecting lies right and like finding patterns and finding the fault in the pattern and so if their smile doesn't match up with that hyper-exaggerated look, then your brain is picking up on that and going, they're wrong, they're wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's bad, it's wrong. And like, and that's where that like, ah, you make me uncomfortable feeling comes from. Um, yeah, right? I, never, I have like next to no opinion on clowns. Like none. <laughs> and I've always found it like interesting because I don't really particularly like them. I don't particularly dislike them. I don't feel like I'm particularly scared of them. Yeah. I like... I don't know, and I'm not sure why that is. I don't know, like, why I never formed an opinion on clowns. I almost feel like I'm missing out. Like, either I should, like, really be like, no, I'm going to be a clown defender, or, like, be like, no, they're totally creepy, and instead just I have, like, no opinion. I can tell you that the clown community likes people like you, because (laughs) I was volunteering at the local museum, and we were doing a wedding, um exhibit and one of our local clown the community clowns brought in her wedding outfit because she got married as a like in a clown kind of outfit 
Like she was that dedicated and she came in like without her clown stuff on and was uh-huh. talking to us. And so you were saying how she hates like the horror industry for making clowns so scary and stuff because now there was so many people who are scared of clowns. And I'm like, look at her, I'm like, even you in regular stuff and I'm creeped out by you. Because like, I've had her at, like, other jobs of mine where she's come in to, like, to do events and stuff. And then I'm, like, trapped in a booth and she's singing opera and stuff. Like, I, and, like, in, like, there's nobody else around. And I'm like, what are you doing? Get away from me. <laughs> clown lady and clown makeup or not is, like, terrorizing the community. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, it was Apparently. actually weird because, like, my ex, um, his mom was a, one of the community clowns as well. And no. she had cancer, and so I went to support because she is because they had like a community fundraiser thing for her, and so there's like a pile of clowns there. I'm like, I'm here to support you and only you. <laughs> Just get me out of here, though, as soon as possible. I do not like that there's like five clowns in the same room as me. <laughs> this is so interesting that like you know clowns. Like I've I've never like met somebody who dresses up like a clown like maybe like one like maybe I know somebody who's been like a clown for Halloween, but to know people who are just like clowns for fun in their spare time year round. Like that's not maybe that's part of it. I haven't had much exposure to clowns except through like media and I you know, but maybe if I'd been around actual in person clowns to some extent, I'd have an opinion. I don't know. Yeah. Well <laughs> like the same ex he would dress I, up as a joker and I could handle him as the joker perfectly fine. I don't even know if the Joker really counts as a clown so much as just his own entity as, a, like, a thing now by this yeah. point. Yeah. Because he's so unique and so identifiable. Yeah, because, yeah, you're right. Because when you said the joke, I'm like, yeah, he's a clown, I guess. But, like, I've never really considered, even though obviously, you know, it's clown. started it, as. But I agree. I think he's he's something separate that's clown-inspired. Yeah. Not necessarily what I would consider a clown. That's interesting. Yeah, I think he's evolved from that at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I know personally, my clown, my clown thing is kind of like my antique doll thing where it wasn't a thing until a certain movie made it a thing. Um, Mm. I didn't, I was more like you. I didn't have an opinion on clowns until I watched it. And then I had an opinion on clowns. Oh, I always and had an I opinion. Have that, have that story, but yeah. yeah. Same thing with the doll thing. I didn't have a problem with dolls. They were just kind of there. Actually, my my own grandmother, bless her heart, she she collects dolls, like antique dolls. And then I watched Annabelle, and I've never looked at them the same way again. <laughs> they went from being very very innocent, oh my grandmother's house, to being oh absolutely not, we're not doing that. <laughs> but see, like I think that's a good cool difference because I'm like. I am afraid of clowns to the point that I don't want to go near them. Yeah. But I am afraid of, like, I'm also afraid of, like, dolls, especially dummies, um, like, the vanquilatrist dummies and stuff like that. Like, even if we have, like, a puppeteer coming t- um, and doing an event, I'm like, you stay away from me. You're creeping the hell out of me. Um, but I'm more intrigued about those ones that I'm like, I actually want to see these more. Because I'm in, like, like I actually like the fear of them. Okay. Right? Like, if I could get my hands on an actual haunted doll, I'd be so happy to have one of those in my house. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But not a haunted clown. clown. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> no, I, I don't want anything haunted. The haunted objects can stay away from me. No thanks. I'm also yeah. not somebody who's ever going to say Bloody Mary three times in a mirror. Yeah. Oh, I've done it. That's <laughs> <how I> risk <laughs> it. <laughs> Nothing 
nothing's going to happen, which you could just not do anything and have the same thing. Worst case scenario, something will happen. And why the heck do I want to do that? Right? <laughs> Oh, I same page. a meme yesterday that I loved that I'd never thought of before. They said something like, uh, say uh, Bloody Mary three times into like your car's mirror as you're driving <laughs> and make her like run to catch up. And I'm like, I have never one. thought about the fact that different mirrors <laughs> would appear in different places. And that's actually, that was funny. That right. made me laugh. I still wouldn't do it because if she catches up with you, then she's going to be extra mad. <laughs> but then... But then also, is she is she behind you or is she in the mirror? Which one is true? Does she come out of the mirror? Like where this? With the, how does the technicalities of this? How does this all work? What are the rules? I don't know and I don't understand it. It scares me. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not messing around with that. Like no, no, I same page. I would it never. Like a um, me and my husband because we like love supernatural stuff, and I like asked him like, did you ever do Bloody Mary in a mirror? He's like, no, like I don't want to. I don't want to deal with that. I'm like, okay, good. Like, this is good. We're on the same page. Like, this is important yeah. stuff to ask somebody before you get married. Would you or would you not <laughs> bloody Mary in a mirror? Because we need to be on the same page with this stuff. Are you going to curse our household or are we safe? <laughs> yeah, see, my fiance and I, we would both say, yeah, we would do it. Because we probably both have done it. <laughs> At least you're on the same page, though. See, it's still, it's still good. Yeah. We're on the same page, so whatever. Like, you know. Different choices, but good for you. <laughs> At least it's not like one of you is going to do it and the other one is going to be like, why are you doing this? Yeah, yeah. The tension in a horror movie is always like a couple that does that. It's always, you know, if you're on the same page, there's no tension. You're not the ones in the horror yeah. movie. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So now that I've completely derailed, I should be... <laughs> That's the running theme that we have to derail or this is not one of our podcast episodes. <laughs> It really wouldn't be. Um, all right. So films, much like horror stories, um, you know, in the sense that horror stories have been around ever since stories have been around uh, from the conception of film. We've also had horror stories. One of the first uh, horror stories, possibly the first horror story uh, or horror film being credited to Le Manoir. This, my French is, I am Canadian. My French should be better than it is, but it isn't. So here we are. Um, Le Manoir uh, de Diable in 1896. I'm so sorry for that pronunciation. In the US, it was known as the Haunted Castle, which I can pronounce. And in the UK, it was known as the Devil's Castle. It included themes that were already present in literary horror, namely ghosts, demons, and haunted castles. It was very much uh, gothic horror inspired, and early inspirations largely mimicked literature, and a lot of the early horror movies were book adaptations. So we had the director, uh, George, I looked up how to pronounce this, I researched it, It, uh, Méliès was a master uh, of visual and practical effects, and that earned him a spot in film history. Uh, His innovations in early special effects were revolutionary, and this kind of trick videography would be adopted by other creators and eventually become so standard that we largely overlook it now. So these are effects like scenes fading in and out, overlapping dissolve, so like being able to have like the same person in two different spots on the screen reacting to each other, uh, and split screen. Because this was like during like the silent film era, right? Like... Very early stuff. Very, very early stuff. Kind of set the basis for like what you can start to do with special effects and kind of spurs that creativity about like, okay, so we figured out how to do this. How do we do other things and like continue it on? Also very early on, we had a silent film adaptation of Frankenstein uh, produced in 1919. 
The Student of Prague, a German silent horror film, which was loosely based on a short story by Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, the Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was one of the most popular book-to-film ad- adaptations in early film, and it was made three times in the 1920s alone by three different producers, all jumping onto that cash cow at the same time. I think that kind of, isn't that kind of like now, like as soon as you have like a film adaptation, like if it wasn't for getting like the rights that only one person at a time can have like the rights to a lot of stuff. But like, as soon as it becomes public domain, it's just like, everybody's going to jump on it at the same time. Yep. 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 Same thing. We've always been doing this. We just have different rules now. Yeah, so Universal was uh, the biggest horror film production company in the late 20s and early 30s with their adaptations of Dracula, Frankenstein, and The Mummy, uh, all looking for the quick success offered by using the pre-established titles. Use a title that's popular enough, you're going to get people coming in and watching it. All right, so Universal then went on to make Dracula's Daughter and The Son of Frankenstein, which sped up the production of horror films for the 1940s. Tropes at this point had started to become well-established, and as the 40s went on, started to feel a little uninspired, and the genre began to parody itself. So producer Val Luton was hired by RKO Pictures around this time, and was given free reign to do what he wanted within a very, very tight budget. So with not being able to afford the gothic castles and the elaborate scenery and the elaborate costumes of the decade past... Uh, he was kind of forced to try something new. He wasn't able to use the same tropes because he didn't have access to a lot of what he needed for them. And uh, he ended up innovating and kind of bringing in a new variety of terror, relying on things that we're much more accustomed to now. Things like setting a more suspenseful tone, the use of music to set the mood, and simpler and more kind of everyday type settings, a farmer's field rather than a gothic castle, for example. Um, He produced The Body Snatcher and Cat People, which popularized the cat scare, a trope in which there's a high buildup of tension before it's quickly released by something harmless, such as a cat darting across an alley. He also did I Walked with a Zombie, which is a Jane Eyre adaptation. It's Jane Eyre horror, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so lots of good films, lots of, yes. I just like that (laughs) Universal was like one of the main horror production teams, when, like, I think most of the time when you think of, like, the horror, um, like, walkthroughs and stuff now, like, you think of, like, Universal Studios mm. horror stuff that they do for, like, the month of October, right? Like, they're, like, the right. number one. Like, practical effects haunted houses. And, yeah, well, yeah. and just, like, the scale of what they do, because I think, I remember one year I wanted to go because they did, like, what if... The Wicked Witch of the West had one in The Wizard of Oz. Like, they got some really cool, like, they got, like, some amazing people and their ideas for this stuff. Yeah, so, you know, makes sense that they'd be doing that now if some of their earlier films were largely horror films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this brings us to the end of the 40s and into the 50s, which was a wild time. Uh, we'd seen the effects of nuclear weapons and the extinction of mankind was a very common fear. And societal fears translate into horror movies really, really well. So so what we ended up seeing were things like atomic monsters like Godzilla, uh, who made his debut uh, in the 50s, along with a string of similar monsters, you know, giant ants, giant spiders, like exaggerated things, scientific experiments gone wrong, man-made monsters and alien takeovers, which were all uh, common themes for like a period during this time. 
we also see in the 50s uh, a lot more gimmicky filmmaking. Um, things like 3D films and audience effects, like with The Tingler, uh, in which filmmaker William Castle put buzzers in theater seats that were set to go off whenever The Tingler appeared on screen so that the audience would experience what the victims were act like, you know, supposed to be experiencing. Which is like, what? <laughs> I love that idea, though. Yeah. Like, immersion. Gimmicky stuff like that. It's just a lot of fun. Well, I think immersion is, like, a key part in a horror Mm -hmm. film, right? Because, like, you're just watching on the screen, so then you're, like, that step removed. But when if you can actually, like, immerse yourself, like, with, like, the buzzers, or I saw a cabin in the woods at the drive-in that's in the woods, basically. So, like, that actually made it a bit more scary because I'm, like, I'm I'm literally in woods. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, surrounded. No, that immersion is so important and things like 3D and like stuff like this very much do pull you into it. I just thought it was funny when I was looking into this because I remember back in, it must have been probably 2010s. Uh, I remember my sister being in high school and theaters talking about like 4D movies where it would have like seats that had like sticks that would poke you in the back and like you'd hear like twigs snap under from underneath your feet or you'd get sprayed with bubbles or sprayed with water or like, like physical practical effects of yours is essentially like signing up for like like a roller coaster in a theater like mm-hmm. so i just I remember that being like a big trend then again and i'm like okay so it didn't start there like i <laughs> <laughs> you know i thought that the more like modern 3d film like i thought that was much more recent than like the 50s like yeah yeah because it was big in the 50s and then i think it came back i know the third jaws movie was jaws 3d and one of the friday the 13th movies was a 3d movie because yeah. you can tell like because like at one point i think like an eye or something pops out at, yeah. at the screen like you can a lot of times tell that even when they're not 3d like that version that they were because of stuff keeps coming at the screen it's like oh that yeah. was like the 3d thing so yeah like it's a 3D is an interesting thing because it seems to like come and go because it definitely about 10 years ago was like a thing again. All of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, we're going to do Avengers 3D. We're going to do this thing 3D. And yeah, and then like it just goes again. Probably another 10 or 20 years we're going to have 3D again. And hopefully like it won't be because it was like those glasses, they kind (sighs) of give me a headache. Like I'm not a big fan. So yeah. hopefully they'll, like, figure out a way to, like, make it a little bit better next time around. Watches, it's, like, augmented reality 3D mm. or, like, VR 3D or something Ooh, like that. Oh, no, time. then like, you're getting, like, nauseous. I don't want to puke during my horror movie. Like, <laughs> that's going to take Maybe me away out of it. By then. But, no, like, I remember but seeing I see that, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street in 3D. Like, the newer, like, when they redid it and then they put it in 3D. And I wasn't as scared of it. Like, I did not have nightmares after seeing it in 3D. But watching, like, the original, and I would have nightmares afterwards. Interesting. So it's kind of weird. Yeah, I think it's, it's so gimmicky. I don't find, I, I actually feel like I'm taken out of it. It's more just, like, a, a fun thing to do, like, if, you know, if you're into yeah. it. But I, I definitely have never been afraid of, like, oh, my gosh. You know, it's like you're... You're already aware something's different. Like, this is not the way you normally see things. So I feel like you're kind of, again, putting up a barrier between the the audience and, and the film. But mileage may vary, as I always say. I'm sure somebody out there is like, nope, totally creepier. In the <laughs> well, maybe, like, and maybe it, make, it might heighten some of the, the jump scares because it's actually kind of mm-hmm. coming more towards you. More right? But other yeah. than that, I'm like, eh? <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. No, I could see. I could see that. I could totally see the intent being immersion and the effect being like, this is silly, late fun now. Like, Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, like the Halloween cat back there. Yeah, <laughs> this is Ash. She's my she's my kitty. Um, Simba's somewhere now in the house. <laughs> yeah, we just got our little uh, catnip cat toys uh, that are little pumpkins, and they're so cute. And it's just I yeah, she's adorable, and I love her very much. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Uh, 3D. 3D was actually on a downward trend by the time uh, The Creature of the Black Lagoon was came out. It was filmed in 3D, kind of like at the height of this trend, but as we've discussed, this trend tends to cycle pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. But by the time it was released, audiences weren't as interested in it anymore, and they were like preferred to watch it in 2D. So... Mm-hmm. Between the film, like between it being filmed and between it coming and like it coming out, already the interest had already declined enough that audience didn't want to see it in 3D after all. Uh, coming to the end of the 50s, in 1957, Frankenstein was once again adapted to film as The Curse of Frankenstein, now with more gore and violence that uh, didn't go over well with critics, but the audience loved it. And the graphic violence had formerly introduced to horror and revived gothic horror um so this came back in the 60s we see it a little bit more with uh some gothic horror kind of resurging here so the 60s rewrote the horror film genre forever with the release of psycho in 1960 and started like started like bringing us to the trend of psychological horror films where the villain was a serial killer which would eventually lead to the rise of slasher films so Classic movie monsters also had a violent resurgence here, and we see more blood and more sex start to appear in horror. Uh, gore became more and more popular throughout the 60s. You cannot be playing with pencils while we're doing this fluff. Um, <laughs> she likes to get in the way every time. Yeah, so gore became more and more popular throughout the 60s, and it was a uh, slow process where violence started with like fast editing to just kind of imply it until production companies got brave enough to show the killings blood and all uh the breakthrough film for this being the night of the living dead now that's not to say that we've never seen death on screen before but we've never seen death on screen like this mm-hmm. yeah so for coming in with rosemary's baby horror that started making an appearance here that keep you guessing is this supernatural or is this just people being awful <laughs> uh so Films in the later 70s and early 80s became massive hits in part to theme music. These are films like Jaws and Halloween. Uh, It was also the type of killer that made these horror films the most memorable as we got Michael Myers, Freddy, and Jason. This is also, this is the dawn of the slasher film franchise. There was also a rise of animal-based horror movies, which I find interesting around this time including Grizzly and a number of, like, beach shark-themed-based movies uh, that were riding off the popularity of Jaws. So... I think all I can ever remember from Jaws, really, is the theme music. I was dumb (laughs) when I watched Jaws. I watched Jaws when I had a day off, and it was a bright summer day, and it was gorgeous, and I was like, this has been on my, like, to-watch list for a while. No one else is home. I'll just watch it by myself. And so I did, and I watched it, and I was like, all right, good movie. You know, pretty spooky. I see what they were going for. The animatronic shark is really cool to see it in action, and, like, I'd heard about it and, like, heard about, like, how this movie was made and stuff, so I was thinking about that while I was watching it. I was like, all right, good movie. And then I was like, you know what? It's a really nice day. I'm gonna go for a swim. Like a, like a dumb. So <laughs> I went to a lake locally, 
where there's all these other people and I went and I read on the beach and then I went for a swim and I got about halfway out there's like a floating dock in the middle of this lake and I got about halfway there and my brain just was like I know this is a man-made lake but like that doesn't matter right now you can't see the bottom and so what if we thought about sharks <laughs> and I was like all right okay I like swam as fast as I ever had in my life out to the, the to the rest of the way to the floating dock because it was a shorter distance to that than it was back to the beach I sat on the dock and I watched the water very closely for about half an hour before I was finally like, okay, this is a lake. <laughs> I can go back to the beach and not be chomped in half by a shark. This is fine. This is ridiculous. There aren't even fish in this lake. This is purely a swimming lake that was made by people for the purpose of swimming. This is fine. <laughs> That's great. I love that. <laughs> I grew up watching Jaws. It's like one of my dad's favorite movies. So like I, I don't remember a point in my life where Jaws didn't exist. So like, yeah, yeah, I love it. I think I just I like saw it like once. <laughs> yeah, all, all the other uh, animal movies like, you know, Piranha or Grizzly. And there was always like some kind of creepy animal that they were like, you know, that they would like it wouldn't even necessarily be in a creepy animal. They would just make it creepy for yeah. the, like the seventies and eighties. It's amazing. I love that. It's so silly. I <laughs> I think the only like animal one that I would actually even watch is like Pet Cemetery. Like I yeah, quite obviously an animal one too. I wouldn't have gone there necessarily because it's like ultimately it's the people that are really bad. Like yeah. church is only so bad, you know. But like the I poor animals, like. <laughs> Like, I was having, like, the joke that, like, I'd put my cat in there. She'd come back and, you know, if something happened to her, like, okay, I'll put you in there. Like, you'll only be kind of bad. Like, you know, they, they, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> you're not going anywhere. You're staying. You're hanging around. Like, if animals like, are getting attacked, no. Bad as, like, Gage was when Gage came back in Pet Cemetery. Gage was obviously really bad. Church just seemed, like, kind of ill-tempered, right? <laughs> like, that's, that's my memory. He's just kind of ill-tempered, which cats can just be like that anyway. So it's, like, in I mean, some ways... Well, and especially if, like, they've the died and now they have to come back. Tempered. And they're like, excuse me, I was having a nap and I was happy? <laughs> the hell yeah. is this? I'm now mad at you people. <laughs> so it didn't come out until 96, but my, my animal horror story is The Ghost in the Darkness... Apparently, when little when little cat was one day old, um, little cat's father and grandfather decided that they wanted to watch a ghost in the darkness while taking care of little one day old cat. So technically, the first movie that I ever saw was Ghost in the Darkness. I love it. That's great. And so, as a child later on, I couldn't understand why the lions in the zoo made me like a little extra scared. Like I knew that, like all, like the tigers were fine, but as soon as I saw the lions, I was like, "All right, like these could eat me." <laughs> and I didn't understand oh, yeah. it, and so my father told me that eventually. Are, I think, I, at least they used to be, I'm pretty sure, in the Field Museum, I believe, in Chicago. So they actually have those lions, hmm. I believe. I'm going to check that to make sure I'm correct. But I believe <laughs> those lions are on display. Ghost. I wouldn't be surprised. I would, yeah, like... Chicago, Phil, so I think, yep, yep, Field Museum, yep. So if you ever want to meet those lions that... that terrified you as a kid like obviously those weren't the ones in the movie but, yeah you know inspired by because i was inspired by a true story yeah so. yeah yeah, I watched it much later when I was actually old enough to handle it and like understand what was happening. 
uh, and not just be like, hello world, I am here. Oh, what, 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 what is, what is that? What is that? Um, so yeah, watched it much later and did enjoy the film, but like, it was, it was interesting that I watched it. And then my dad was like, yeah, technically that was the first movie you ever watched. I was like, that explains so much. Like, thank you. That's great. So yeah. Uh, animal based horror movies. Yeah. Wild ride. Uh, so yeah. So we also started seeing more body horror, uh, during this period with shivers, uh, which has been interpreted as a social expression of the fear of social, uh, sexually transmitted diseases. Um, just ties into the plot, obviously. Uh, and followed shortly by Carrie in a more teen-based horror. Mm-hmm. So, and that brings us up to the '90s, which were, um, yeah, they were they were the start of like low-budget found film movies, things like, uh, well, the Blair Witch Project, which was massively successful, and then just a bunch of people trying to write off that success. Yeah. Um, we also start seeing the never-ending sequels and remake after remake after remake uh, with production companies leaning on the teens that were fans of slasher cult classics that now had adult money. (laughs) Yep, pretty much. (laughs) And then in the 2000s, we start seeing horror parody itself again as the trends, you know, tropes, they get established, they get kind of run into the ground. Um, So we start seeing horror parodies like Scary Movie, as well as more self-aware horrors that came around at the same time. It's not all parody, but Scary Movie is pretty iconic, so... (laughs) There's also a spike in horror movies where gore is just the whole point of the movie. I call these movies gore porn, a term lovingly stolen from an old friend who used the term to classify movies such as The Human Centipede that exist just for the disturbing thrill of seeing someone else's torture. Um, I realize that it's more commonly referred to as torture porn, but I personally think gore porn rolls off the tongue a little better. (laughs) I agree. I actually like it better. And honestly, straight to the point, that's that's what it's about with these ones. So... um, yeah, so yeah, so kind of it ties back into the same sort of thing with literary horror as um, like as to why people put themselves through this kind of stuff. Searching for the thrill, searching for the spike in emotion. Sometimes, like, we, we were talking about how, like, it's ironic that, like, people with anxiety would be into horror, but it kind of makes sense because you're putting yourself in this safe space. You know that you're physically, practically safe, right? Like, you're in your own living room. You're, you know, in the park on a sunny day. Maybe you're making it a little scary watching your movie in the dark or by candlelight or whatever, but like you're some part of your brain does know that you're safe and is aware that you're safe. So you, it gives you the experience of like um, exploring these more fearful emotions without actually being in danger. Like you get that same sense. Your brain can't like completely differentiate what's happening to you versus what you're reading or what you're watching, but you are safe. And so it's kind of, yeah, it's like a way of putting yourself through that and experiencing those emotions, but, and like kind of learning how to cope with them and learning how to manage them without actually putting yourself in harm's way. Yeah. I think that aspect, like therapeutic aspect of it is really interesting. Do you guys feel that like, like, have you ever had to, where you've started a horror film and then you've had to stop and go back to it again later? Mm. Yeah. Um, do you feel like that changes anything for you guys? Because, like, I know I had started watching one, I think it was Dead Silence with a friend, and we had to stop because my mom's like, okay, it's time, we have to go home, like, you have to come home now. So we had mm-hmm. to stop. That night we had a thunderstorm, and mm-hmm. I woke up in the night with the thunderstorm. My mom knew, like, there's a thunderstorm happening, she's going to be 
a little a bit freaked out because if I get startled awake, it's bad. Um, yeah. And so I woke up, lightning hit, I swore I saw like, the main villain's face in my closet screamed went flying out of my bedroom where my mom was already coming out of her bedroom somebody had forgotten to close the drapes of like the really large like long windows and a and lightning hit where the flash was just right behind where my mom was and then i again i saw the person's face but on my mom and apparently she had to literally restrain me to her bed to get me to calm down where she's like, you don't have this problem if you've completed a horror film. But she's like, it must be when you have to stop partway through. There's not that completion of the story. It's the unresolved ending. Yeah. Yeah, it's unresolved, yeah. Wow, yeah. that's intense. That's like, that was like a horrible intense. night. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, what about I will that? Say, though, the movie that scared me the most as a kid was John Carpenter's The Fog. Because I was like five or six. And I'd never seen Fog. I'd never seen Fog. I don't know how, like, I'd never seen it. But guess what showed up at my window? My second story bedroom window that night in the oh. middle of the night. No. Most of that fog doesn't even come that far up. Usually it's, like, on the ground. And, like, I was already freaked out by this movie. I was so scared by it. But my mom's like, it's fine. It's just a movie. It's all fine. And then, like, it's, like, middle of the night. I wake up. There is just these... The, the, I've never seen fog this thick on a second-story window in my life. And I just start screaming. The fog's come to get me. Oh, no. And, like, my mom... I remember my mom's face. It was great. Because she was just, like, looking at the window, like, seriously, are you for real fog? Like, she didn't say that. But that was totally the expression on her face. Like, I cannot believe this happened. Because she was like, the fog's fine. Fog doesn't, like... It's fine. Like it's real, but it's not gonna come for you. And it like totally came for me. It totally came for me. And like it's it's really funny looking back because as a kid you're like, oh, of course this happened, right? But now that I'm an adult, I'm like, what are the chances? Those aren't good odds. Like I'm no. well into adulthood now. That's never happened to me since. It's crazy. It's crazy. That's so that, wild. That really I definitely cried a lot and was like, screaming because I thought the fog was gonna come and get me. Oh no. <laughs> Well, like, that is, like, like, it's funny how, like, the circumstance, like, just, like, the freak yeah. things that can happen, like, right after you've seen a horror film, and this is, like, oh, this has happened. Yeah. Like, I used to work in a movie theater, and I remember there was one time where we had both Inglorious Bastards and one of the Final Destination movies showing, and every time I walked into one of those either of those theaters to do the check was a scene where either the movie theater is on fire or I think in the Final Destination one somebody was like behind the screen and like one of the, and like the nail gun was going off and every single time like Why? I would I didn't even like plan it or anything like it was just like okay I need to go do my check now and I would try to do it at like different times and somehow every time I walked into those theaters it was one of those scenes and then one of the managers was like hey like, you're, like, a super curious person about, like, how the movie theaters run. You want to come behind and see what's behind the screens? And I'm like, no, thank you. No. <laughs> no, thank I have you. now seen these scenes, no. like, no. million, like, a million times. I do not want to be part of one of these scenes. Thank you very much. Oh, my goodness. I love this. Yeah. Crazy. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I, the only, the only, um horror movie that I remember uh like having to leave partway through was was Caroline like you know the children's horror movie um and and 
It is. It's a horror movie for children. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, it's creepy. And I, I remember we, I was watching it at a friend's house because there's no way I was going to watch. I was going to be allowed to watch that at home. But I was watching it with some friends at a friend's house. And we had just met uh, the other mother and the other family and the button eyes. And it was just starting to get eerie. And it was just starting to get creepy. And that movie plays suspense really well. And like, it was just starting. It was like just before things got like outright scary. And it was that underlying like unnerving what we want you with us forever this is fine kind of period and my mom came to pick me up and I was like I'm never gonna be able to finish this movie this is the way that it ends for me this is just how it ends she's just she's there and she's with other mother and this is how it ends she's just there forever now in my head so I still haven't gone back to finish that movie and it creeped me out for years to the point where I didn't think I was gonna be able to handle it if I did (laughs) I don't I've seen it all the way through. I think I've seen parts of it. I'm pretty sure it has a happy ending, right? So I, I think I if you think did so. go back, it does. It has a happy ending. Spoilers, yeah. it does. It, yeah. Like, I've seen memes about it, and I've seen people, like, clips from it showing up on Instagram reels and, like, talking about, like, you know, um, there's all these reels where people are, like, analyzing movies for, like, a short period. So I've seen a lot of reels like that analyzing it without ever actually having finished it. So I've seen some of the in- imagery that's to come. And now I'm like, yeah, that would have been fine. But I've just I've just never gotten around to it at this point. And I really should one of these days just, like, complete middle school Kate's trauma and just, like, let it resolve. And like, I think there's a really good meme that I saw. Um, and I don't know if it's actually, like, a... Like if it's a true Jeopardy question that was asked, but it was um, name. It was like this movie, uh, this Tim Burton movie star was creepy and starred both Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter. And like the no, thing was, and the thing was basically one. like, um, that's an impossible question to get right <laughs> because there's like tens of Which like one? at least like ten of them. <laughs> Like, <laughs> which what? Okay, did did it like did it say what the answer was? Like, no, that's why I'm like I don't know if it's like a real Jeopardy question or if someone like made it for the meme. But I was like, that's that would be like a hard one. It's like every Tim Burton creepy movie has <laughs> Johnny like, Depp. That down, and... like... <laughs> 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 All right, but yeah. <laughs> That brings us to the end of my notes. <laughs> okay, I do want to ask, because one of my favorite things with horror movies is now to watch some of like those like B-horror movies. So like the ones that you really just want to laugh at, where it's considered horror, and they're trying to be like serious about the horror, but you're like, this is horribly done and yeah. laughable. Like just cheesy and bad. Yeah, like... <laughs> I mean, those are kind of my favorites in a way because I'm like, I can just laugh at them. What do you guys think? It depends. Some of them are so bad they make me cringe. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a fair. I feel like that's a fair. Because I'm like, right. one of my I, favorites. You know, I like all horror movies, you know, for different reasons at different times. So, like, you know, it's definitely fun to do to watch it. Yeah, because I'm like, I like the ones... level of that. It, it... Like, with, um... I think it's called Wrong Turn. Um, and it's a very word. It's like, you got, like, the weirdest ways to die. Like, I think 
in that one, somebody turns into like a human, we- like th- um, thing of weed, where it's like, oh, you like to smoke so much weed, I'm gonna turn you, like basically make you into. Like I remember, there was at least one of them. I think it was Wrong Turn, the one yeah. with Eliza Dushku. Because I'm like, I really loved that movie just because yeah, I was I Eliza. That movie. I don't remember the. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. There was a movie. Was a movie. Hang on. I can't. Ah, this is gonna bother me so much now. There was a movie that was about, it was like a son of the anti, was, what's the child? No, it was like a son of the antichrist movie where a woman gives birth to a child that turns out to be the uh, antichrist, but it's so obviously a doll that it's just like the entire time. It's just like a play doll that she's like, you know, the actress is doing her best and trying to act like it's a real baby, but it's like painfully obvious that it's just a cheap doll. And I don't know this. That's great. I, I want to this up. I was going through a phase of just binge watching um, movie reviews on YouTube and one of them watched it as like a, uh, like a reward for hitting a thousand subscribers or something like that. This is like in the depths of my memory. I'm trying to like pull it to the forefront right now. Um, But it was like, it was just this really, really like cheesy, like so bad that you couldn't even laugh at it bad. It was just Mm. like, what is happening? (laughs) Like, I really, really I don't know. I'm like looking it up, trying to find like what it is. I don't know that one, but oh my gosh, that sounds right? like so bad and wonderful at the same time. It's like Child of the Antichrist. It's going to drive me nuts. No, it's not this one. Maybe it is. The Omen? No, that no, can't, no, no that one's maybe a remake of the Omen. I don't yeah. know, but like the original Omen, I don't feel like there's even a baby in it. Like Damien's no. like Damien's like by that. Yeah, like he's an I'm older sure. kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it must have been some kind of like ripoff or something. I don't know. I don't like. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of like Omen ripoffs after the Omen. Like, and then they remade the Omen, and then I think that there were even more ripoffs based on the remake of the Omen. So yeah, yeah, yeah it, it must the have been something. Like, like, there was so many possession movies totally based on the Exorcist. You know, yeah, they didn't necessarily I don't do anything different. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna be able to pull this out of my brain uh, right now. But like, it was, it was something like that where it was, um, yeah, it was just this wild experience that was just like a whole bunch of non sequiturs. Kind of like the scenes didn't really go together very well, and like they the jump scares like every five seconds because that was the only way any of it was scary at all, and it was like. <laughs> Maybe the jump scares can get so tiring if you keep doing them. Like that, yeah. that needs to be, you know, spaced out. Otherwise, it's just like, oh, good grief. Yeah, exactly. Like it's you lose all the suspense when it's like you have, you know, yeah. something happening every five seconds. Well, and I think in general, like you can get like a tolerance level to them because, yeah. like, for a long time when I actually could finally watch horror ma- films and enjoy them jump scares, I was like, oh, and I actually would jump. And then it's gotten to the point that I don't even jump. Like, a friend of mine who also loves horror films, we saw one at the drive, I had a different one at the drive-in, 
um, and her boyfriend was sitting in front of the car. Like, he was like, I'm going to hang out outside because then he could smoke a little bit, right? Because I'm like, you can't do it inside the car. I'm allergic. You need to be outside. (laughs) So he's like, fine. And so he was, like, in, like, one of those, like, beanbag chairs outside, like, just in front of the car, and then we were inside of the car, and she was jumping so hard that the car actually moved a little bit, and he's just, like, looking, like, what are you trying to do? Like, you're trying to kill me? I'm like, it's your girlfriend. <laughs> Don't look at me. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. like, I'm barely moving here. She's like, how? How are you, like, not jumping at these jump scares? As like, I'm like, I'm I- too used to them now. <laughs> Like, I'll jump, like, I'll get startled, and I'll, like, like move and react, but I won't be scared. Like, it's, it's, yeah. yeah, like, mentally, it's just kind of like, okay, that happened. But, like, physically, it's like, hey, right, nice, thanks. Like, like I don't even get yeah. that anymore, and I just kind of miss it. Because <laughs> I'm like, now I just feel like I'm just sitting here watching another movie, where I'm like, it's not the same experience anymore. <laughs> yeah. I don't even remember. Oh, yeah. Actually, there was a recent one. It was uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Um, ben and I, Ben, my husband, and I were watching it in theaters together. And there was one particular scene where something jumps out when I wasn't expecting it to. And I don't know why I wasn't expecting it to, because it was pretty obvious. It was like a little hole in, in a void of nothingness. And it was pretty obvious that something was going to come out of there. But for whatever reason, it really got me. And I was holding his hand and it just went like, can <laughs> He was like, okay, let's, mm, okay, <laughs> let's not do that. I was like, I just, no control over physical reaction right there. That was just, that just happened. Like, uh, I was like, I'm so sorry. He was like, that scared you that bad? And I was like, no, I wasn't scared. I just reacted. I don't know. <laughs> I do that though with like, with Grant, my fiance, I do that constantly. Like if he just kind of like, if he all of a sudden just shows up behind me and I'm just like, what ends up right? And he's like, I'm so sorry, honey. I'm like, why is it that I can't do this during a horror film? But you just show up, like the person I'm living with shows up behind me and I freak the hell out. Yeah. 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 Like he's even done it where I'm in the shower and he pops his head in to be like, to ask me an important question. And I scream. (laughs) And so he's like, I'm sorry. And so and then our like, roommate's like, over. and then our old roommate was like, um, is everything okay? I heard Ashley screaming like bloody murder. And I'm just like, Grant scared me, okay? I was not expecting oh, no. him to show up in the bathroom. <laughs> oh no. Uh, the horror the horror of everyday life. The horror yeah. of everyday life. <laughs> Right. Oh man. Well, should we wrap this up? I feel like We've kind of come yeah, through a lot of That was great. There was yeah. a lot of great history there. Yay. Well, I'm hoping we did, yeah. like, share some stuff that you didn't know, Gwen, since you're kind of, like, the yeah, expert. Yeah, definitely. It was also just fun to go back through it. There's some things that I don't always think about that I'm like, oh, it's been years since I've seen that <laughs> one. So that's fun. That's just fun. Trip down memory lane. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess kind of, like, to wrap up, um, Gwen, are you working on anything new right now? Like, that listeners can kind of get a sneak peek at or you know right now it's mostly just reluctant immortals just focusing on that a lot and the promotion of that but yeah i do have another book that's in the works that's a uh haunted neighborhood it's a whole and instead of just a haunted house i'm like let's do a whole haunted neighborhood so yeah that that should be coming out in the next year or two at some point i don't have 
too many details yet, but if you like ghosts and unusual ghost stories, maybe that'll be your thing. So yeah. Full neighborhood. That sounds ambitious. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully, hopefully. (laughs) Just like the history behind each and every house. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. And then um, also like, where can people find you? Yeah, yeah, on my website, GwendolynKeist.com, or on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Just look me up, Gwendolyn Keist. Awesome. And we'll put you in our uh, show notes as well yeah. so that people can find you nice and easy. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, thank right. you so much for coming and joining yeah, us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope that you found something new and will check out the resources in the show notes to get more information. In the meantime, I would really appreciate it if you could rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so more history nerds can find me. Don't forget to check out our Instagram page at WDYKA Podcast, as well as considering helping me out with a donation or membership on Buy Me a Coffee. The link is in the show notes and on our IG link tree. Thanks so much, and see you next time on the lesser known side of history. <laughs>